to the future. Good afternoon and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm John Tarleton, editor in chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website. I'm joined today by my co-host, Amir Gagarian. Hi, John. It's great to be here with you and all of our listeners streaming on WBAI.org. How are you doing? I'm feeling good. We just completed our June print edition late last night and sent it to the printer. Uh, the people yeah, we did. This, yeah, it feels good. Um, <laughs> you know, as you know, we put a lot of work into that each month and the paper will hit the streets uh, later this week and it, it'll be placed in our red and white news boxes in more than 60 public libraries as well as cafes, independent bookstores, laundromats, et cetera. It's a fantastic issue and it includes an important story that you wrote, Amba, that we'll get to chat about a little later in the show. I look forward to that. But first, we're going to talk about the air outside and the struggle to make New York a leader in renewable energy and the transition to a low-carbon economy, if that's possible. Yep. Uh, New Yorkers are enjoying beautiful weather today with clear skies and temperatures in the mid-70s. That sure wasn't the case last Wednesday when New York City was shrouded by a blanket of smoke from Canadian wildfires that briefly made our city the most heavily polluted metropolis in the world. Yesterday, the independents, Elsie Carson Holt, spoke with New Yorkers in Washington Square Park about the day the sky disappeared. And here's what they had to say. Coming back from being out of town, like, during the main Wednesday. And so, like, when I approached the city from New Jersey, like, I couldn't see the skyline. And when I got here... Um, my throat was definitely tight. I definitely kind of had a little bit of a headache. It was a little hard to breathe, I'd say. But I didn't realize it was as bad as it was. Yeah, so I was coughing, like, for a few days, and it was just, like, um, first time ever for me because I'm not from the U.S., mm-hmm. and it's like the, it hasn't happened to me in my life before, so I was just coughing. And also my friend was just, like, sneezing a lot. And yeah, um, I smell uh, smoke all the time. My throat, throat, uh, I feel like a uh, sore. Uh, um, I can't breathe very well sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I try to use a mask. I use a mask all the time. I mean, you're used to hearing everything happening in the West Coast or you know, Arizona. But to be on the East Coast and have that massive scale of fire was kind of... Uh, shocking in a way so um the question is how do we prevent that and i just think the government is so dysfunctional nowadays that they can't seem to get a plan together i know you to to control burns and also you know rip out underbrush but that costs money so the question is what communities you know put the bill for that so I think this is an area, especially in Manhattan, that isn't really affected by climate in the sense that, like, a lot of other areas, like uh, lower-income areas, are way more affected by climate crisis. And it finally kind of maybe hopefully shook a good amount of the upper class to be like, yo, this affects us, this doesn't, this can screw everyone. Yeah. And not just, uh, it's not just out of sight, out of mind. Kind of sure. It was in everyone's mind, throat, and eyes. Those were New Yorkers reflecting on last week's smoke wave. We are now joined by Elsie Carson Holt, who did those interviews. Elsie, you mentioned to us earlier that people seemed eager to talk about their experiences, right? 
Yeah, I was surprised by how many, um, how responsive people were when I approached them and asked them to sort of talk about how, um, the smoke impacted them. I was also surprised how people obviously talked, um, primarily about, um, the physical impacts of the smoke and the low, um, air quality and sort of the, eyes burning and um, difficulty breathing and needing to wear a mask and stay inside. Um, but even before I sort of prompted them with a climate change question, um, most people did bring up how um, they realized it was a result um, of climate change and how, like um, somebody recorded said that how they thought it would ha- it happened on the West Coast, but didn't really expect to have those kinds of impacts on the East Coast. And that was sort of a wake up call. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Any other takeaways from those conversations you had? People seemed pretty eager to talk to you. Um, yeah, people were pretty. People wanted to talk about how um, how that was a kind of unique event, but also then a lot of people mostly brought up um, hurricanes and sort of how snowstorms have changed throughout the past couple of years, and just sort of like the very tangible impacts that climate change have had on them and their lives in New York City in general. Okay, well, Elsie, we appreciate you going out there uh, and uh, talking to those folks. Uh, Of course, climate change is a story we're going to continue to follow for many years. And we also know the only way to stop the climate crisis, or at least slow it down, is with organizing. And here in New York, we have a robust climate justice movement that has developed over the past decade or so. It has been busy of late trying to put New York at the forefront of a Green New Deal. Uh, Joining us today to talk about uh, that is Jessica Azalea, uh, executive director of uh, the Alliance for a Green Economy. The Alliance's goal is a prosperous, safe, and healthy New York, fulfilling the promise of conservation, energy efficiency, and safe, clean, renewable energy sources to end our state's reliance on wasteful and environmentally destructive forms of energy. Jessica, welcome to WBAI Radio. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yes. Uh, so for uh, starters, can you... Uh, talk about some of the uh, the main uh, uh, projects that Alliance for a Green Economy is uh, focused on at this time, including uh, legislation in Albany, uh, the Heat Act, as well as uh, you know big pro- some progress that was made this spring around uh, the Build Public Renewables Act. Absolutely. So my organization, Alliance for a Green Economy, we work statewide at many different levels to make this transition to 100% renewable energy in all sectors real. So we do everything from helping people switch their energy sources in their own homes to going toe-to-toe with utility companies um, when they're trying to raise our bills to pay for fossil fuel infrastructure to trying to change the policies at the Public Service Commission and the legislature. So we work at all levels and um this we're just coming out of this year's legislative session where we fought very hard for and won some really historic climate policy um, and also had some things die at the end of session and left undone. So there was a tremendous amount of progress um, in the state budget in April. We had um, New York become the first state to pass a law that gets fossil fuels out of new construction, requiring that new buildings are built all across the state with state-of-the-art heating and cooling with renewable energy instead of fossil fuels, which is really exciting, and we're we're leading the way nationally on that. Um, And then we also had the movement pass the Build Public Renewables Act, which is going to mean that we, as the public, 
can build and own um, renewable energy through our state agency, the New York Power Authority, and we can, um, you know, reap the benefits of that and make sure that we're reaching our, our climate goals. So we had some tremendous wins in the budget. And after budget, we fought for very hard the New York Heat Act, which is a really important piece of legislation for addressing fossil fuels in existing buildings and bringing down our utility bills, achieving energy affordability. We, the bill would um, stop us from subsidizing fossil fuels through our utility bills, which we're doing right now at over $200 million a year. We're spending on incentivizing new fossil fuel hookups through our utility bills. Um, and it would also help us take money that we are currently dumping into the fossil fuel pipelines in our state and move that money to help people switch over to heat pumps um, and other electric appliances to help cool their homes and heat their homes and get off of fossil fuels. And it would cap energy bills for low-income people at 6% of their income to help achieve energy affordability. And unfortunately, even though the state Senate passed that bill, at the end of the last week of session, the assembly has not acted and we don't have um, vocal support from the governor yet. So we are really calling on the assembly right now and the governor to support that bill. Thanks, Jessica. And so given the urgency of the climate crisis, why is it so hard to get Albany to, to do the right thing? It is so frustrating and it's a good question. And it's a question that we everyone is asking, especially during the last week of session as we had you know, this cloud of smoke covering the whole state. I'm here in Syracuse. We had days where we didn't see the sun, uh, where we couldn't breathe the air safely. And I know it was like that all over the state, including New York City. And still, Albany did not act um, to get this under control. And it's unconscionable. Um, and all I can say is that the utilities, the gas industry, the fossil fuel industry, they still have a hold on um you know, our elected officials and can sow so much disinformation um, and spend so much money on lobbying and, you know, working against us. So we have to build our movement even bigger and stronger to overcome that. And we came really, really close this session. We really grew the movement a lot this session. Uh, and we just need to keep going. People need to raise their voices. They need to demand accountability from their elected officials. Right. And what do you, what do you say uh, to uh, uh, critics of a renewable energy economy that it would be uh, too costly, it, it might be ineffective if you have, you know, a lot of cloudy days or the wind stops blowing. Um, how, how do you respond to that, that, that people are going to be sitting at home with the lights out while we try to live, a, you know, a green uh, green dream? I would say a couple of things. First, um, New York State has a plan um, to achieve our mandated emissions reduction goals in the state, um, which is basically to get off fossil fuels by 2050. Um, this plan was released at the end of last year. And in preparation for that plan, there was an incredible amount of analysis that was done. And what they found was the cost of the climate crisis is so big that if we do nothing, it will cost us $115 billion more than if we pay to act and to, to make this transition. So it's much more costly to for inaction than it is action. Um, 
In terms of the viability and reliability of renewable energy, there have been multiple studies um, in the United States and around the world on the feasibility of renewable energy. We have the technologies that we need to power our homes, to heat our homes. Um, what is standing in our way is the political will to to put the money down to build these systems um, and to take action on the climate. We know that the sun goes down at night and there are cloudy days. We know sometimes the wind doesn't blow, um, but there are ways that we can address the variability of renewable energy. We can do that by building um, complementary renewable energy sources, so combining wind and solar across the state, making sure we can move energy from one place to the other and putting in storage um, to fill in the gaps when we, when we you know, don't have the wind and, and sun that we need in any given moment. And there have been many, many studies showing how this can be done. I totally believe in our, our ability as humans to solve these, um, you know, pretty minor technological challenges. And it's going to be much more beneficial to us to act than it is to just let this crisis run away from us. Right. And speaking of political will, what did you make of uh, last week's uh, showdown in, in the state Senate over the appointment of uh, Justin Driscoll, uh, a Republican uh, who's currently the acting head of the New York Power Authority? Uh, Governor Hochul wanted to give him that job permanently, and, and his nomination was stopped, and a, a lot of groups uh, pitched in on that to change the change the momentum there. I think what we're seeing is our climate movement really rising up and demanding accountability from our government um, and demanding a clear and strong vision for how we're going to achieve our goals. So the Build Public Renewable Act, which you know, really requires NIPA to have a very strong hand if we're going to be able to build the public renewables that we want and it will benefit all of us. We need um, a New York Power Authority that is really engaged in that process, and we need leaders at the Power Authority that have the vision to carry that out and to make sure that we're building the renewable energy and that we're benefiting from it as a public. And you know, I think that what this shows is that the, when the people speak and demand that we have visionary leadership in these agencies, the elected officials can and do respond. Right. Well, Jessica, I wanted to ask you um, about that nomination, because if it had gone through, um, it, the issue would be right that he wouldn't, um, Driscoll wouldn't have, uh, well, he still is in place, but that he would, you know, be confirmed to continue to mislead NYPA and not enact, um, you know, these, uh, public power goals, uh, that we have with the BPRA. So I know that in the past, you know, we've had aggressive climate goals under Cuomo, particularly around updating buildings to be sustainable. And now we have these new emission reduction goals by 2050. But how can we really um, meet these goals when we haven't yet? How do you think that we can do that? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think um, it's really important for us when we pass a piece of legislation like the Climate Act, like the Build Public Renewables Act, and even the the um, all-electric building act that we passed during the budget too. 
we need to stay in the game and see it through through the implementation phase because it can be too easy sometimes to pass kind of big overarching legislation that sounds really good and you know elected officials can take a victory lap and say okay we did it we did what you asked we got this done and then nothing gets built or right. the policy doesn't get achieved and that when when we pass legislation like this the action moves to the agencies like the New York Power Authority or the Public Service Commission or the Department of Environmental Conservation and we need to be just as active in pushing those agencies and holding them accountable and getting into the nitty-gritty of how these laws are uh, implemented and making sure that they're implemented we need to be just as active there as we are with the legislature getting the laws passed so I'll give you a good example of this. Um, we passed the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act in 2019, which requires the state to get off of fossil fuels by 2050. And we have to reduce our emissions 40% by 2030, which is in just right, a few years, right. right? A lot of this implementation is going, needs to happen through the Public Service Commission, which is an agency that regulates the utilities like National Grid and Con Ed that serve electricity and gas to our homes and especially gas because buildings are such a huge part of our climate emissions and we have just seen the the gas utilities you know you think okay this law was passed so obviously they're going to start planning for how they're going to stop expanding the gas system how they're going to help people get off of gas and onto heat pumps which are technologies that can help you heat your home without fossil fuels you would think that this law was passed so they would just do it and they're not. Instead, they're dragging their feet. They're trying to get every single last gas pipeline in the ground as they possibly can and make us pay for it and raise our rates to do it. And we need the Public Service Commission to stop them and to set a different course and to put really, really clear um, requirements on them that they have to be reducing the amount of gas that they're selling. And they're not doing that yet. Um, and it's been what, four years since we passed that legislation? So, you know, we and other organizations are getting involved in the Public Service Commission and trying to, you know, really move the utilities and move the regulators. And we need more people in there with us holding these agencies accountable to the law or, what you know, we just won't see the kind of action in time that we need. Okay, and before we have to go here um, in a minute, um Curious, uh, you're up there in Syracuse. Uh, what has been the response of people in Central t- New York to the the more hands-on work that y'all do to help uh, people, uh, you know, make the transition to renewable energy uh, in their own lives and in their own homes? Yeah, I mean, we're just finding that so many people are curious and interested, and you know, frankly, freaked out about the climate crisis and want to n- know what they can do. And people want to know what they can do to get better policies in place and get better programs in place. And they also want to know, you know, what can I do in my own home? And they're hearing about solar, they're hearing about heat pumps, and they're curious and they want to know more. Um, so, you know, we're out there with other organizations, and there are many like us across the state who are out there educating people about these technologies, helping connect people to to installers that can help you install solar or a heat pump. And it's been tremendous. We've seen people getting more and more interested. This industry is growing. 
and people, you know, install these technologies and they find out that they work and they find out that there are really a lot of great benefits to them in terms of the comfort and affordability of their homes. And then they talk to other people, they tell their stories, they tell their neighbors, they tell their elected officials. So it's, you know, it's, it's great, but we're also finding that we need policies. We need more funding for people to be able to make the switch, especially low income people need more financial help to be able to adopt these technologies. And we need um, to be finding ways to scale these technologies so that we can go faster. So one example of that is we can install heat pumps in people's homes on a house by house basis, which we're doing all over the state right now. And it's exponentially growing but we can also have our utilities and other large entities install thermal energy networks, which are utility scale renewable heating projects that put pipes in the ground that carry water instead of gas that people can connect their heat pumps to. And that can help us move entire neighborhoods off of the gas system. So we need to be, you know, looking for these ways to really exponentially grow um, this transition. We're not going to meet our goals. And just bouncing off of that, uh, here in New York City, most people don't live in individual houses. They, uh, many of us live in, in large apartment buildings. And I know there's been some pilot projects uh, here in the city with uh, trying to bring uh, you know, large apartment buildings on board. Uh, we Act in Harlem has been a leader in that. But uh, do you have a sense that uh, this is going to be able to get scaled up here in the city with sort of its unique uh, you know, uh, architecture and uh, – terrain here? Yeah, absolutely. I think that what we're finding is that um, the technologies work in many different kinds of buildings, many different sizes of buildings. And, you know, we have a lot of different kinds of technologies that can meet the needs of different sizes and kinds of buildings. Um, What we have is not a technological challenge. What we have is, are we willing as a state to put the resources toward making this transition and ensuring that everybody can make this transition and find ways to do this at scale? Or are we going to just throw our hands up and say, it's too hard and we'll just live with, you know, continued smoke bombs every single summer and hurricanes and droughts and food shortages and all kinds of crises. So I think, you know, what we need to do is just ensure that we are putting the the money instead of putting it into the gas industry, that we're putting it toward the solutions that we want to see. Okay, well, we'll leave it there for now. But uh, Jessica Azale, Executive Director of the Alliance for a Green Economy, joining us from Syracuse, thank you so much for being on WBAI Radio this evening. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Right, and uh, uh, in a couple of minutes, we're going to continue our, our, our sort of Earth-themed show. Um, we're going to hear from a couple of uh, uh, pioneering um, uh, visionaries uh, who are hosting an eco uh, an eco sexuality symposium here in New York. Um, but before we we go to uh, Annie Sprinkle and, and Beth Stevens, um, but we have this new issue out, um, or it's it's at the print shop right now. It'll be out in the next few days. Um, I just want to compliment you. You did one of the main articles this issue on how people can uh, maintain their Medicaid coverage now that the government is going to make it a, a, a lot harder and, and impose a lot more paperwork 
on people since the pandemic is supposedly over. Uh, real, real quickly, your thoughts on that. We, we may talk about it more in a future show, but I just thought that was a really important story uh, for you to cover. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll go over it briefly, too, just because it's also a bit of a PSA we did with this article. Like, people need you know, it's informational. People need to recertify. Um, but basically, you know, the social safety net was expanded um, pretty shortly after COVID hit. Uh, people were automatically enrolled or re-enrolled in Medicaid um, because obviously many more people had to, you know, uh, go to the doctor, go to the hospital. Um, and uh, and now that's ending. Uh, the It was a bipartisan bill passed at the end of last year uh, to uh, basically shrink back the social safety net. Um, what they've dubbed uh, Medicaid unwinding uh, is uh the sort of biggest part of that. Some SNAP benefits have um, been cut down and are getting uh, cut as well. But uh, overall, it's Medicaid. So 92 million uh, Medicaid users in the country are going to have to recertify, uh, which basically just means reapply um, and, you know, put your new information in for Medicaid over the next 12 months, um, or they will be dropped. And nobody is going to be re uh, automatically renewed after July 1st. So if you uh, might have your renewal day anytime right after July 1st, you could be subject to just not having insurance if you don't recertify before then. So that means that you might need to go online to state of health, New York state of health.org, nystateofhealth.org and check. Um, your Medicaid status, and it can be confusing online, I know. So you can also just call the state at 855-355-5777, and you might have to wait on hold, um, but be adamant about speaking with an operator if you need to. Again, that number is 5777 or go to any sort of community organization like if you have in Flatbush we have Flatbush Development right. Core something like that and find out more about that right and of course uh, uh, look for AMBA's coverage uh, the print edition will hit the streets in the next several days and we'll also be posting the article online at independent.org AMBA thank you for doing that and uh, now we're going to move on to the next part of our, our uh, Earth show here we heard a uh, uh, earlier from Jessica Azalea about uh, 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 environmental policy, the Green New Deal, uh, bringing renewable energy to the people, and, but also, uh, the, I mean, the the Earth, it, it, you know, is a is a living uh, being and spirit. Uh, many people say, and uh, we're going to be we're going to be joined here on the phone in a second by Annie Sprinkle and Beth uh, Stevens. They're uh, uh, pioneers in the field of eco-sexuality, um, and uh, they're going to be hosting a four-day symposium in the East Village uh, starting on Thursday called Exploring the Earth as a Lover, Eco-Sex in the City. Uh, the idea is to forge new relationships with the environment, engage in human-non-human collaboration, critique calcified ideologies, engage in new sexualities, all through the lens of an of an environmentalism that is feminist, queer, sensual, sexual, post-human, exuberant, and steeped in humor and play. So this sounds like this is going to be a pretty amazing event with all kinds of uh, speakers and presenters. Uh, Annie and Beth, are you there? Yeah, we're here. We're here. We're happy to be here. Yeah, it's so good to have you on uh, WBAI 99.5 FM. I know 
Uh, Annie, I know you're a longtime listener and supporter. Um, right. So for, yeah, this for is start- I just donated a hundred dollars to WBAI out on the West Coast. Oh, thank you so much. That, that means uh, that means a lot, and certainly setting a great example for everyone who's uh, listening along to the show right now. So, for starters, uh, do you want to elaborate a little bit more uh, on what um, what ecosexuality is and, and how you all kind of came uh, to be? Um, aware of it and, and to uh, really incorporate it into everything you do. Well, this is Beth Stevens, and I'm just going to really quickly say that uh, Annie and I are performance artists. We're conceptual performance artists. And we started doing um, some pieces in 2008 where we thought, you know, there was the same-sex marriage debate was going on then. Uh, so we were trying to get married legally, but since we weren't able to do that at that time, we decided that who really needed the help and the privileges, you know, afforded by marriage? And we thought, wow, the earth could use some help here. So we married the earth. And then the next day we woke up and we thought, oh, my goodness, what are we now? We're ecosexuals. <laughs> and so from that time on, we started making a movement. And it's really an art movement. It's an environmental art movement. And what being an ecosexual means is that you love the earth. It's as simple as that. You can be heterosexual, bisexual, uh, how, whatever other sexualities you want and have, and still be an ecosexual. It doesn't take anything away from any of your other identities. You can be eco-curious, eco-romantic, eco-sensual. So we've we worked on this for you know many years, and uh, it's a lot of fun, and we're trying to make it kind of. Uh, affinity group for people that don't always fit into the mainstream environmental movement. We're really trying to make the environmental movement more sexy, fun, and diverse. And we love the earth so much, and we like to show it. And there's so much pleasure to be had and sensual experiences with the earth. And people have them all the time. They just, it's a bit of a taboo, like hugging trees, for example, or going skinny dipping. Or enjoying the breeze through your hair. So it's a lot about um, seeing, smelling, touching, tasting the senses. But also being imaginative when you're having these embodied sensual experiences. I mean, we all know that when we sniff a flower, we're really putting our nose right into the genitalia of the flower, right? <laughs> the reproductive organs. So we eroticize uh, the, the earth. And it's a lot of fun. And... We're having a big gathering here at Performance Space New York. Uh, lots of amazing ecosexuals, and some aren't the ecosexuals, but are concerned with the environment. You have your, the orange skies here. We live in San Francisco. We're used to smoky skies, but it's, it's intolerable and not okay, and we can do something about these issues. Thank you. We, we look forward to talking more about um, uh, the event specifically soon. Um, but one um, small note, we, you, you both are joining us uh, via phone. If you could try and speak up just a little bit so the people in the back can hear, we would appreciate it. Um, 
but uh, back to the topic at hand. So, um, you know, um, many people love the earth, right? Like a lot of us say we love the earth. Of course, I love the feeling of a breeze, the smell of a flower. Um, you know, my mom's a major, major heat tree hugger. But uh, even she, I haven't, um, you know, um, seen maybe this. She doesn't know she's an ecosexual. Yeah, maybe she is an ecosexual, but she hasn't, you know, even she doesn't sort of speak to the sexual aspect of it. So um, I- I'm wondering what the, the benefit is of eroticizing the earth, as you said, and, and why you sort of uh, encourage that. Um, wh- how can we connect deeper if it's erotic rather than just really being a nature lover already? You know what I'm saying? Well, you can identify as asexual or bisexual or homosexual or heterosexual it doesn't mean you have sex we don't you know uh you know don't sit on branches or something uh it's not a biblical thing (laughs) so um sexual is just it's an identity concept uh ecosexual and we're also trying to wake people up a little bit. And once you add the word sex to something, it wakes them up. We get the right wing really mad at us, and so we get, you know, people's attention that way. We uh, elicit humor by just, you know, adding the word sex to what sometimes can be a very droll movement. Now, we love the environmental movement, but it can be a little beige and Birkenstocky. You know what I mean? So we're trying to get Certainly. people to dress up for the earth and prance around and show ourselves off for the earth and you know we're trying to get attention because climate change is really serious and it's it's killing all of us and if we have to throw the word sex in there to get some attention we're willing to do it and then the other thing that we're trying to do with ecosexuality is expand the definition of sex itself right and and something you have written is that uh, one of the advantages you see of uh, talking about the earth as a lover as opposed to earth as as uh, mother is that with a lover you have to be more uh, response, uh, responsive to it, uh, your partner's needs, whereas with mom, you know, mom will, will kind of always take care of you no matter how much you uh, screw up. Uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, we live in a capitalistic age where everything is about just taking and taking and taking and making as much profit from that. And, you know, everybody's moms want them to have a good job and make a profit, right? But your lover, your lover wants you to be be there with them, you know, even if you have to miss work once in a while and to be reciprocal and to bring them gifts, which, you know, doesn't make any money, right? You're... Your lover wants you to fawn over them. And, I mean, we take our mothers for granted. We always think that mom's going to do our laundry, and we can be little jerks, and we can always come home. But the earth, we can see, like, these orange skies. And if we don't straighten up, we're going to get kicked off this planet. The earth will break up with us. (laughs) We sometimes say the earth can be a cruel lover, and there is no safe word. Right. So let's go uh let's go back into the upcoming event uh this weekend you have exploring the earth as a lover ecosex in the city um and you'll be in the east village but tell us more about the kind of specific environments you'll be in and what people can expect to do um yeah it sounds really interesting We're in the state Yes we're so so excited we're in state of the art 
huge, beautiful theater, two theaters actually we have. Uh, Performance Space New York used to be PS122, an art hotbed for many years. We have incredible artists coming. We're going to talk about spirit marriage, elders and ancestors, celestial kinship, equine tantra. We're going to have eco burlesque. The hydro feminist will be here. We're going to have an, an Arisha wedding with two amazing artists. We're going to explore gender, dendrophilia, entanglements, and ecosex, and all kinds of costumes and eco-sexy fun, a great set. And we have artists like, uh, scholars like Kim Tallbear, who's an incredible indigenous, brilliant scholar who's going to perform. Linda M. Montano, who's my performance art mentor. Reverend Billy and the Church's Stop Shopping Choir. Gender outlaw Kate Bornstein, urban tantra educator Barbara Corellis. We're on a Kavira, who's a, 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 has the academy for boys who wanted girls. We have sex workers because I used to be a, a porn star and a sex worker and worked in here in New York City for 22 years in the sex industry. Um, we have Judy Dunaway, an experimental musician. We have other scholars, Zandra Ibarra. We have Bo Zhang from China. It's very international, Taiwan. And it's, um, you know, diversity is our secret spice and age and all things. And lots of friends. It's a family reunion for one, and ecosexuals from all over the world. This is a big movement now, and we're very lucky to be here in New York at Performance Space New York. So that's going to start on Thursday, the 15th, and run through the 16th, the 17th, and the 18th. And it's going to be it's going to be incredible. And it's re- you know it's really we use the word symposium, but it's really gathering together to have discussions about these important issues at hand. And how can art and performance and film and theater bring more attention to climate change and to environmental justice? This is Beth. I grew up in West Virginia, and I've seen firsthand that the utter destruction that things like mountaintop removal cause and water pollution and poverty, you know, which is intertwined with environmental disaster. I mean, it's poor people and also poor people of color who suffer the most and indigenous people. And so, um, you know, we have a lot of work to do, and we're, we're thinking about and talking about and envisioning how we can do that together to make a better world for the animals and for young generations coming up and for the elders and for the earth itself because we love the earth. Right. And so as you wrote in your um in the event listing for our listeners, bring your animals, costumes, plants, your microbial biome cloud, and mingle with various communities of artists, scholars, sex workers, queers, fashionistas, animals, spores, water drops, clouds, etc. So sounds lovely. Um, for uh, people listening that want to attend, how much will these events cost uh, over the course of the weekend? Or will they well, cost? Well, they're $25 for the whole... To a, oh, yeah, it's a yeah. sliding scale from $25 to $100 for all three, right. all four days. Um, but if you have a financial, uh, you know, um, if you have a financial challenge, there is a, uh, a some kind of a scholarship that you can apply for. And uh, I'm not quite exactly sure how that works, but if someone gets in touch with us, and we're easy to find, 
you can just let or get in touch with Performance Space New York, and they will they will guide you to the um, fellowship. And I just also want to say happy Pride, all you queers out there. We're getting targeted right now, um, so let's let's all just let our colors shine. We're adding green to the uh, to the flag. And don't forget to add the E to G-L-B-T-Q-I-I, E, E, <laughs> for ecosexuals, because there are a lot of us that love the earth. And by the way, you can be a mother and, and a lover also. We're not poo-pooing the idea of Earth as mother because the earth does take amazing care of us, and we do love our mothers. And Right. Yeah. There, there also comes a time to grow up in our relationship with our mothers. Uh, um, so uh, you just you were talking about uh, Pride Month. Uh, your thoughts on how it is that uh, many of the same people uh, who were uh, so vehemently hateful uh, toward LGBTQ people are also the ones that are uh, the most uh, uh intent on continuing to burn fossil fuels and don't seem to really care uh, about what happens with climate change? Well, it's complex. I mean, people that do care about the LGBTQIAE movement also burn fossil fuels. I mean, many of us drive. We have many in our eco-centers. We, you know, I feel like that the the corporations are, are more of a problem than individuals are. And war, it's a structural, huge structural problem. And I think that, you know, we often talk about humans are part of the earth. We're made of all the same things that the earth is made of. We're made of calcium. We're made of iron. We're made of water. And so what you do to to your body, you're doing to the earth. And what you do to the earth, you're doing to our bodies, too. And I think that the orange skies here in New York illustrated that perfectly. I mean, you can't breathe when there's no air. And so... I think that we have to have a whole shift of structural uh, priorities in, uh, all around the world because, you know, it's the fossil fuels that allow people to gain the wealth they need in order to buy the things that burn the fossil fuels, which is what everyone wants. It's a vicious cycle, and so we have a lot of hard work to do. Um, yeah, it's there's a lot of work to do, and I think part of what the ecosexuals bring to that is the sense of humor and joy. Because if we're working and fighting all the time, you get exhausted. So what we try to do is create some small spaces where we can come together as a community, like what we're doing here at Performance Space New York, and we can enjoy each other's company, tell stories, have fun, and then we can go back out and fight like hell, you know, for the future, right? What did what was, what, what Mother Jones say? Pray for the dead and fight like hell for the living? <laughs> Something like that. Indeed. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm with you, Anna. Definitely agree. Living? <laughs> Something like that. Indeed. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm with you, Anna. Definitely agree that um, we need to look beyond individual actions to fix these major problems like climate change um, and destroying the planet. But I wanted to ask you one last question, which is, you know, you're doing this event in the East Village, a super densely populated area of an urban metropolis, concrete jungle, um, you know, but we do have 10% of the uh, land here in the New York area as parks, um, well, in New York City proper, sorry. Um, So how do people interact with the earth when you live in the city? When you're interacting with other people, you're interacting with the earth. So really all human-to-human sex is eco-sex as well. 
um, you know, you can find everything's made of the earth, basically. So it's there's a grass between the cracks in the sidewalk. There's marble in buildings. There's wooden handrails. Uh, there's the sky. I used to look out from my Manhattan apartment window and make love with the sky. It's in, there, the earth is everywhere. Earth, sky, and water. It's about enjoying water. And also, urban density can be a vehicle for creating systems that are actually more more eco-friendly than, say, um, you know. Better than the suburbs, right? Yeah, distributed populations in the suburbs. And, you know, if people are interested in this topic, we do have a book. It's printed by the University of Minnesota. We just we wrote it during the pandemic in 2021, and it's called um, what's it called? Assuming <laughs> ecosexual position, the Earth's lover, <laughs> and it really talks about my history in West Virginia. You know uh, how we became environmental activists, what our ideas are, uh, it, and and it, we give away you know recipes for how to have a wedding to the earth or how to do an ecosexual walking tour. I mean, we our, our work and our ideas are for anyone and everyone that wants to use them. Okay. A lot of our well, work I, is about pleasure and pleasure activism. We need more pleasure. If everybody appreciated the earth as a, a sentient being and a source of so much pleasure, maybe they'd take care, better care of it. We'd have one big so-called Garden of Eden, and and things would be better. Right. Well, we'll have to leave it there for now, but Annie Sprinkle and Beth Stevens uh, co-hosting the um, this big symposium at the Performance Space of New York uh, Thursday through Sunday, uh, Ecosexuality, Ecosex in the City. Thank you so much for joining us on 99.5 FM this evening. 